Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Dominic Fifield of The Guardian and Tom Hopkinson of The Sunday Mirror. Claudio Ranieri showed class and dignity, which is more than can be said for his Leicester players. They've got money and medals, but little professional pride. It all begs the question, is football management an impossible job, Dom? Well, it's becoming that. Certainly if you go into it thinking long-term, it's all short-termism these days, as, as can be seen if the manager of the champions doesn't last nine months again, like Jose Mourinho last season as well, and Pellegrini before him. Went to see Sam Allardyce last week, who is one of the old-school managers and would, I think, would go into most clubs in the past thinking he's got a good run of three or four years at that particular club. And in the wake of the Ranieri sacking, his reaction was, well, the management game has changed these days, you can't afford, as a manager, to think about anything at a club other than the first team. So you're thinking tactics on a match-by-match basis and you're thinking recruitment. Youth team development, academies, you know, a club 10 years down the line, not interested. It's not about, that's not for you, because you know you're not going to be there for that length of time. And that's going to have knock-on effects for youth development of football in this country. Sure, and the first rule of modern football is don't fall out with the players. I might disagree. I think the first rule is don't win the Premier League title, as Tom says. <laughs> don't you win know anything. I mean? Don't, don't win anything. Because look at the, the yeah, absolutely. The FA Cup winner last year, gone. Does Runners winning gone. mean anything? Does winning mean anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's look, it still does. Uh, I mean, Dom's absolutely right. Clubs have evolved, clubs have changed these days. We're no longer going to have that figurehead who is there for the long term, is there to develop all facets of the club, is there to oversee everything that goes on on a day-to-day basis and someone like Ferguson and, and Wenger as well you know that model has clearly had its day but this is why clubs are bringing in directors of football and they are men whose jobs not necessarily much longer term than managers but certainly you know you think of the likes of Michael Amanello at Chelsea I mean he's seen off several managers now or, or outlasted several managers you know that's the model they're going down I, I think look it's incredible the way the last two seasons have gone isn't it with the Chelsea players effectively downing tools last season under Jose Mourinho and man who, regardless of what they think of him as a manager, as a man-manager, they'd given up on. Claudio Ranieri sees that the players have done that for him. Now, look, whatever, anyone who's listening to this, there are going to be so many people listening to this have got a problem with their boss. 
it's life, isn't it? It's nature. And life has, of course, by the way. Well, of course, uh, <laughs> if you're listening. Um, but managers in whatever line of work you're in can upset you, they can inspire you. I just find it astonishing, though, that the players are able to get away with it and change things so much these days. But I thought Jurgen Klopp's comments were very interesting on the subject of Ranieri, the fact that it's a weak owner. If the players have that much power, it shows the sign of, uh, of a weak owner, and um, I would tend to agree with that. If we are in the era of light bulb managers, mm. interchangeable, it makes sense that someone like Gus Hiddink is being spoken of as a potential stopgap at Leicester. You watched him very closely at Chelsea. Can you see that working? Well, I could see that working maybe seven or eight years ago. When Hiddink came in to replace Scolari in 2009, with a very, very good Chelsea team that was underperforming in the same way that you could argue that Chelsea did last season mm. as well. Big egos, big characters, you know, strong personalities who could carry that team. And he, he managed to get them, reminded them of how good they were, basically. Made a massive impact in the short spell of time he had after Scolari. Last year, I didn't think he was the same. I, I, I thought it felt at times as if football had moved on a bit in his absence. Um, well, he's 70 years old, isn't yeah, he? As he, as, yeah, so it's natural that it would have done. Look, last year he did, there was a little upturn in Chelsea's results and they certainly steered clear of trouble. They actually went on the longest unbeaten run, I think, in the Premier League last season of any team. But a lot of those were draws, mm. but, you know, they got them up to, what, 10th place in the table from a club that was flirting with the relegation zone for a while. But I didn't look at him and think, well, this is a manager who, in his pomp, a manager capable of taking on anything for longer than, you know, five, six months. And he also had a lot of very good players there, players with real pedigree that went back not just one season, but, you know, people that had been Football of the Year in, in various different countries and won European Cups and things like that. So I don't think it would work at Leicester. It's a very different type of job at Leicester. For all their amazing achievement last year, that achievement is the flash in the pan, isn't it? It's not, mm. That's not the, an indication of how good they are. So given that, would it be more logical to say to Craig Shakespeare... OK, you are the number two. You're probably a classic number two in many ways. Have a go at it. I think there's definitely an opportunity for him. I know Nigel Pearson is under consideration for a return and they might look at him and think, you know, he knows the coaching staff, he knows the playing staff, so come in, give him a, a huge bonus. Even if it's just to say, look, Nigel, come in till the end of the season. We're not thinking any longer term than that with you, but, you know, you've got maybe that little bit of extra experience that Craig Shakespeare hasn't got. But doesn't that just sort of count out to the players? Of course. I mean, there was a great story this morning in, uh, I think it was the Daily Mirror, that uh, the players don't want uh, a coach who's, you know, a real tactician. I mean, just outstandingly vain if, if they think they can dictate that. And they've almost, you know, look, that was the thing with Ranieri. Yes, he, there's been a lot of tinkering this year and we have to balance, you know, with the sort of emotional upset that's come out in the last few days. You have to balance that with the fact that they're in the bottom three and clearly there were issues because the stories that we've seen emanating from the dressing room don't start coming out if everything's all sweetness and light. We didn't hear any of any problems last year, did we? Mm. So he's clearly tried to change things a little bit, but I think Ranieri, they, they can almost could have manipulated him a little bit because of the way he manages. And I think last season, yes, a lot of that was down to him, but also a lot of the way they played was down to the players and, and they made their own look and they had their own confidence. So I don't quite know what they want. They've, they've now got rid of this man who, realistically, from what we're hearing today, is exactly the type of manager they still want. Mm. You know, Tom made the point about you know, we're at the end of the era of the dynastic manager. Mm. There is a dynastic game at the weekend on Saturday, Liverpool v Arsenal. 
let's take Arsenal as a case in point with Arsene Wenger. 20 years, we, you know, we've recycled all the arguments. Does it basically boil down to the fact that sometimes fans just get bored with the manager and they want a new toy? Well, I suppose to a certain extent, yes, it, that may well be the case. But there's also new generations of fans um, sprung. I was actually talking to, I was talking to one 20-year-old uh, Arsenal fan at the weekend who, who literally doesn't know what Arsenal is like without Arsene Wenger. Mm. Uh, has no concept of what Arsenal is like. And I think maybe boredom sets in more with that generation of fans who want to, to experience a different type of, of set-up and club and, and, and team approach. I think anyone who... I can understand all the frustration with Arsenal fans in terms of not challenging for titles and the, the Groundhog Day element of it all. But I do think in 10 years' time, or five years' time, or possibly even in a year's time, we'll look back and think, oh, actually, Arsene Wenger was doing a pretty good job, actually. And, and, and you know, he had things going in the right direction and at least guaranteed that European football every year. As frustrating as the lack of trophies is, Sometimes the grass is greener. There's a short-termism about life nowadays, though, isn't there? Yeah, you know, I, I think we're sort of just of the era before this one. I like to think it's only just. <laughs> but you know, we, we, I, I was, I grew up in an era where it was quite normal for a football manager to be there for five, six, seven years at a club, mm. and yet the generation of supporters who are growing up these days, you know, I mean, think of teenagers now, 17, 18-year-old Arsenal fans. You know, life is all about 140 characters for, for yeah. most of them. It's all about the Snapchat generation, isn't it? That mm. you send a message and it's disappeared within a few minutes. Well, it's almost seconds. changed almost the, the way they watch the game as well, hasn't it? it everything about it's changed. And, and even when you're looking at reactions to it, you know, people 20 years ago, 30 years ago, used to have to wait till the next day to read about how your team had gone on in a lot of instances. Nowadays, it's, you know, the match report is there, it's online, the, the highlights are or on your phone immediately. So everything in life, uh, and it's not, it's not just limited to sport, everything has become this real immediacy now. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that is contributing to the, the boredom factor that Arsenal fans just want something else, whether it's another manager to moan at or something else to complain about. Mm. Because 88 other clubs' supporters would give their right arms to be in Arsenal's position of Champions League football every year. And But, you know, Wenger's given them so much with that, that it's now not enough and it still strikes me as being crazy. Given that then, does it mean that the best managers have to reinvent themselves on a regular basis? Well, no, not, I don't think it's shown that. Recent history hasn't shown that. I mean, you know, Chelsea make a new appointment every other year and I don't think the, the manager that comes in changes his approach. I mean, I don't think Jose Mourinho changed his approach when he came mm. back to Chelsea. I don't think Conte changed his approach at all when he came into Chelsea. I think they go in there with a bit more realism and to be honest, they probably go in there signing their four-year contracts, thinking, "Well, if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out, I'll get a decent payoff." Look, at, look anyway. at those noughts at the end yeah. of the uh, yeah. Yeah, the package. Well, they can only go in and do what they can do. I mean, if it, that's not good enough, and, that, and I think they all understand yeah. that, don't they? Yeah. They, they, they all There's go in. Look, I mean, there. there is a pragmatism there, and they sign these contracts because they know they're watertight, and they're look. Claudio Ranieri, we all feel sorry for him, but today he's probably waking up at his vineyard in Italy, <laughs> look, wondering what to do with his yeah, three but, million. But to quid. be fair to him. You know, the stories are that he's going to give half of that three million pounds compensation to the Leicester Foundation. And, fantastic, and, and fantastic, but I know you can afford give, to do you it. You only give one and a half million pounds away if you can afford to do it, and that's that's modern day football. It's modern day football, not just football management. Everyone within signing, within minutes of signing their first contract, if you're working for a Premier League club as a player or a manager, you're a millionaire. So, is then? Jurgen Klopp getting carried away with the romance that's associated with Liverpool Football Club. He's talked about 
getting all the players together with the academy outside of Melwood. He's talking about the dynastic ambitions of someone like a Stephen Gerrard learning the ropes under Steve Highway. Fantastic, admirable stuff, but is it realistic? Probably not. But it does tap into what people want to hear at Liverpool, the supporters want to hear. With Klopp, it will boil down to how much success he has out on the pitch and, and whether he's there in six, seven years' time. But the structure he puts in place or he encourages the club to put in place, that can be there in six or seven years' time, no problem. And if that's got the club's best interests at heart, then brilliant. And I think he has tuned into that desire on Merseyside for a long-term approach. I mean, it may be that he isn't the man who ends up delivering it or he isn't there to see the fruits come to fruition or whatever. But, you know, the sentimentality and the ideas he's got are right. And they should, certainly of all Liverpool, you're right, it'll tap into something that is there. They want that dynasty at Liverpool. He's tapped into the supporters, hasn't yeah. he? That's mm. the thing. And, and it's got the right mindset. It, completely it? the right mindset. And he's, he's played the game, he's, he's said the things that they want to hear, and that, that's not a criticism because I say he says that because that's his belief. I'm, you know, He's not just doing it to curry favour with them. But um, ultimately, it'll boil down for Liverpool and for Klopp, just as any other manager, any other football club, it's going to boil down to how much money they're willing to spend on players. We've seen, you know, we had this, Leicester broke the mould last year, but it's reverted to type already this season. We're back to the same top six as we've had, you know, five of the same top six for, for many, many years. And unless Liverpool back Jurgen Klopp as much as they need to, then he'll not achieve what he perhaps can if they throw millions and millions of pounds at him. What I love about him is his emotional engagement with it all. It's a bit like Conte at Chelsea. Yeah. Well, you see him on a touchline and he's living it and he makes sure that the crowd know that he's living it. I don't think we... If we lost that in football, there might, might as well just be a bunch of robots out Do you know, uh, we, we went down to interview Claude Puel at Southampton on Friday, and it was very, very difficult to get any passion from him. You know, he's on the, the brink of playing a huge football match for Southampton Football Club. And... He didn't want to give anything away. You know, we, we talked to Mourinho. Mourinho will tell you that he always treats himself to a watch uh, every mm. time he, he lifts a, a trophy. So there's a I think 24th uh, <laughs> watch to add to the collection. But, you know, the, there was the, we, we tried to take Claude Puel down that route. You know, what will he treat himself to? And he, he wouldn't talk about it until after the game. You know, I think you're absolutely right. You know, we came away and, and you're a little bit deflated, aren't you, when you come away from an interview like that? Because, you know, we fans and, and supporters and us as journalists, you know, we want to be able to tell the fans a little bit of insight into what makes their manager tick and with Conte, with Klopp, there's the passion there with Mourinho, the passion is there and that's what makes it such a engaging soap opera for us and if the Premier League was full of Claude Puel's managing it would be a strangely, that, more that, boring place. That is the fit for that particular club. It's perfect, though, it? it's, because it's perfect. They go through yeah. managers. And he coached them brilliantly. Yeah, oh, he did, yeah. And that's not to take anything away from him as a manager. It, obviously, that's what works for him, yeah. that approach. And as Dom says, you know, that's the fit the football club want as well. So, yeah, I don't mean it's a criticism. I'm just saying that we, you, we need, the game needs, uh, and as supporters, we need managers with real... With Puel, we had sort of assumed, I think, that it's a language barrier that's making him this sort of so reluctant to talk. But I went and did an interview with him in, in France when he was at Nice a few years back and wanted to talk to him about Wenger, actually, and he was very good on Wenger. But mm. I, I attended his pre-match press conference down there ahead of a run-of-the-mill league on game and he was exactly the same in French. Just everything was just straight doesn't back, want yeah. to doesn't want to engage. It's not what he's about. He's about engagement on the training pitch. And fair play, that's where his forte is. Mm. But I suppose, again, that reflects... Let's look at Pep Guardiola. Football is a flesh and blood game, 
but speaking to him or listening to him, you wouldn't realise that, would you? Yeah, I mean, Guardiola's interesting, isn't he? Because sometimes you come away thinking there's this great humanitarian there and what a lovely fella he is. And, and you know, you, you look at the, the gesture to Harry Arter on the pitch after yeah. the game. I mean, just wonderful. But, you know, let's not make him St Pep just because he, he said one nice thing to someone. You know, he's, he's got this flip side and he wouldn't have survived as long in football management or has been as successful as, as he has been without having an absolute fiery side who, you know, would, would sort out any mm. problems in an instant. So I think, you know, Guardiola comes into that same mould as a Mourinho type. Um, you know, I think there are more similarities between uh, the top managers. You know, even Ronald Koeman, we know he's got that side to him, don't we, that will mm. we'll get in amongst it and tell his players a few home truths if he really has to. And, I, I, you know, I, and I don't doubt for a minute that Claude Puel, behind the scenes, uh, does the same because, he, you know, he wouldn't have survived a couple of weeks in football management, whether it was in France, whether it was in the Premier League, without having thick skin and steeliness to him. But um, I just think with Guardiola, I mean, as, as, as all the rest of the top managers, there's that absolute, look, it's my way or the highway and I don't care what anyone really thinks of me. But I suppose the difference with, with Pep is that City have bought into the legend and mm. he will get three years or five years, however long yeah. he needs. I, I get the impression that with Pep, it's, there is a shelf life to it, and he, but he dictates when that... When that ends, obviously, Bayern Munich, that's what happened to Barcelona, that's what happened. Mm. And I think City, I don't know what her length of his contract is, but I imagine three years is probably the limit for what he'd, he'd want to do and, and the impact that he would want to have. Maybe, maybe we're doing them a disservice. There was a very good piece with Aita Karanka in the Mail on Saturday morning, which sort of giving an, an insight into how he works. And he's very much a Mourinho-type clone, isn't he? He's followed that route. But compiling... 80-page dossiers of every opponent that uh, that Middlesbrough are going to come up against. And you, you, you hear that and you think, well, yeah, I can see why there might be a bit of burnout. Equally, <laughs> I did look at that and think, if you're compiling 80 pages on your opponents and you're scared, aren't you? <laughs> you're worried about what your opponents are going to do to you. Why, why aren't you concentrating as much time on, you know, getting the most out of your team to hurt your opponent. And getting 80 pages across to a, a group of 25 no footballers as well. Not yeah. a chance. I'm mm. Amazing. But but that's how it works. And I can see that they're, after a while, they, they probably just need to freshen, you know, freshen up and just, just recharge they, their maybe, batteries. Maybe, maybe 120 pages on how to score a goal or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's what's going to kill them. You know, I mean, look, fo football management, it is, it's, people are making it this science, this art, aren't they, at the mm. moment. But unless you've got good players, and unless they're performing as a team and as individuals, then it doesn't matter really what you tell them, how scientific the approach is. And unless they're doing all the basics right, then you're not going to get anywhere. Do you think it's down, it boils down to communication, doesn't it, yeah. ultimately? It's, yeah. And I do think there's, the, the, the trend has been of late that we've got to over overload our players with information and get, get all this. And I just think some of them are just completely phased by this and, and they, it doesn't bring the best out of them. And I think there have been few managers this season who have lost their jobs because their players just haven't reacted. They couldn't react in the way that the, the manager chose to because the communication skills You, you wonder how much of a spreadsheet manager someone like Antonio Conte is. You know, this mm. is a man who, so often, he, he, when we ask him a question at his press conferences, his first line is, look, I was a player. And, and yeah. I'm not saying, you know, we all know that we all know that you don't have to have been a great player to have been a great manager, but... He, it definitely works for him, and, it, and it's, that's not about spreadsheets or no. you know formatting different it's old systems. Drilling, isn't it? it's absolutely, like, yeah, and it's yeah, and it's, that's, it's, and it's feeling the moment as well, isn't it? Yeah, feeling how a game's going and knowing what a player's perhaps thinking, and, and just being able to read his body language as much as anything. Mm. Football management's also a fashion business. Now, City 
have got a, an FA Cup replay against Huddersfield. Mm. David Wagner's flavour of the month, mm. you know, Leicester were meant to have spoken to him and he rejected them. I look at him and I look at the way that team play and I see a potential Premier League manager either with Huddersfield or without them. You agree? Yeah, absolutely. He's done an incredible job this season. Um, I think the whole setup for Huddersfield to have gone for someone like him initially was was brave, and also looking outside the box a bit. And they've been rewarded for that because he has, in a difficult division, a division where we're, we're a bit snobbish about the championship. This is a you know roll your sleeves up division. Well, he's come in and he's he's adapted to it. He's worked out a way of bringing in players for very little money, really. Mm. Their budget is tiny. So I think it's, a, it's very similar to Rotherham's, who are bottom with virtually no mm. points. And he's tapped the German market, he's tapped the loan market. He, he's the recruitment side there, know people within the game. So they've, they've gone to Emanalo, mm. they've got players from Chelsea, Casey Palmer, they've got um, Izzy Brown doing so well there. And I think they've just made a really good fist of it. And surprisingly well, um, they've still got this chance of... of of outside yeah. chance. There's a guy, well, a guy called Stuart Webber yeah. who, who runs their recruitment. Yeah, yeah. 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 excellent. He's, he's shown character. Wagner has shown the, the character that we're talking about. The character that Klopp. Is showing on Merseyside. He has shown that in in Yorkshire. You know, he's he's gone in. He's got the supporters believing in him. He, you know that 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 situation with Gary Monk the other week when they're barging into mm. each other in the technical area. You know, that's we want more of that. That's people caring. And and you know, I'm not I'm not saying we want to see it every game, but but you know, sometimes passion boils over. And 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 I have credit to him for that. But the flip side of the whole fashion bit is let's look at Sunderland, who are playing City on Sunday. If David Moyes takes Sunderland down, and we all know he's got no money, few players, a lot of injuries, will that signal the end of him as a major manager? No, I don't think so. I don't know that he was considered a major manager after United, really. Um, I think his time in Spain was OK. But I don't think when Sunderland brought him in, they felt that they were getting the David Moyes who did so well at Everton. Um, I think they, they realised they were perhaps getting a, a, a different version of him. I think he's still a good Premier League manager. Someone was going to take Sunderland down sooner rather than later. Um, now, if they get out of, of the battle this year, I, I, I'll be very, very surprised. I, I just don't think Moyes will lose the status of being a good manager, but as I say, I, I don't think he is a major manager anymore. Mm -hmm. Jose Mourinho, we're looking at him now. You know, fourth League Cup. As you say, was it 20, 24 titles, wherever it is. What do you see in him this season that you didn't see in him in his final days at Chelsea, Dom? Well, for most of this season, when people have asked that question, we saw similar things. We saw the, the snarl, we saw the, a manager who didn't look particularly happy. But once he wasn't actually doing handstands when they won yesterday. Well, no, no, but that's 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 sort of almost typical Mourinho, isn't it? He's, I mean, he did that with with Chelsea when he was winning titles. He was throwing his mm. winners' medal into the crowd. That's almost like him. He just wants to make a point. This is probably the, Ch you know, challenging the first, his players almost, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. You know, doesn't mean anything. But he wasn't he wasn't a particularly happy figure for a long period at the big, at the start of the season. I don't think we should forget that. They've had a great run. They've had a a, a steady progress, and look, a couple of the players that he he was instrumental in bringing to the club of really fired. Well, certainly Ibrahimovic is really fired, and and I, I think he can look at him and and lean on him. But but is he is he? I I don't know. I think the jury's still out in terms of whether he's actually settled and happy. Um, 
in fact, if you think about it, has Jose Mourinho ever been? <laughs> Probably <laughs> not. I mean, I, I mean, even in that first spell at Chelsea, there he was always had that capacity to completely flip and go into raging against the world mode. Maybe that's just how he works. It probably mm. is just how he works. I thought it was really typical that he turned up for that press conference with you know, CR <laughs> yeah, on his, was, on his yeah. shirt, which is obviously, it's look at me. I'm, you know, I was in that position last year as well, chaps. Just remind you yeah. of that. Yeah, well, that was. It was exactly what it was. Um, you know, I, I was betrayed by my players. Mm. He's never really wanted to say that too, too much since, since, since he left Chelsea, but his anger that day was very evident. I, I think, to, to be fair to Mourinho, I... I you know, we, we're quick to deride him when he has these combustible moments and says things or kicks a bottle and he gets a fine where others wouldn't. But I actually thought he played it quite well after the League Cup final because I thought... Gracious. He, he was gracious and he knew that goal, the, the, the Gabbiadini goal, should have stood. He acknowledged a couple of times that it, the game should have still been in extra time when instead they were celebrating victory and winning the cup. So, so I actually think he deserves a you know a bit of a, mm. uh, a bit of a pat on the back for for the way he handled easier himself. He's won it, of course. Of course, yeah. Well, obviously, yeah, far easier. But but you know, if you think back to to the days when he used to walk into Cobham, I mean, I, I've not I've not done a press conference of his up at uh, Carrington with, with, since he went to United. But when he, he'd walk into Cobham, you almost knew from his entrance, didn't you, what sort of mood he was in. Yeah. Sometimes he'd come in, there'd be the the hand wave and the smile and, and you knew you were in for an amusing pref, uh, press conference sometimes he'd walk in and there'd just be this thunderous aura about him <laughs> and you knew you were going to get clipped answers but often they were the better press conferences there was, he was saying more uh, than, than he would when, when he was all singing and dancing and, uh, and sweetness and light and I think as Dom says I just think that's the way Jose Mourinho works he talked about the intensity and the pressure he puts on himself after, after winning this game and I think that's all a part of that it's all about challenging himself to be back in his office this morning, tomorrow morning, the next day, and getting the most out of his players and, and more importantly, probably getting the most out of himself. And the big managers know how to deal with big players. So if you look at Ibrahimovic, 26 goals, been an absolute, well, not a revelation, it's just been a confirmation. What's also impressed me about Mourinho is the way that he's dealt with the Wayne Rooney situation, which could have been pretty toxic if he blundered through it. Yeah, he has he has done well with that, and I think he's been helped that Rooney has behaved the way he has as well. I mean, his great watching celebrate that yeah, goal, and which although it cost him cost a place, place on, on the pitch. pitch yeah, um, yeah, you're right. Mourinho has, but Mourinho's got the ego to, to he should he should be able to deal with with the big players. Interesting then to 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 acknowledge that this time last year, when he was out of work, he hadn't been able to deal with a Diego Costa, he hadn't been able to deal with a Hazard or a Fabregas at, at Chelsea, so maybe. Maybe that relationship he has with said big characters is finite as well. It reaches a point where actually they have to go their separate ways. With Ibra, he was at the end of his career, so when he eventually leaves United, you'd expect Mourinho to still be there. And to, but but with, with the other guys, they were arguably going to outlast Mourinho. It was very clever bringing in Ibrahimovic, though, not just from the what he gives them on the field, but from Mourinho as an individual, Ibrahimovic comes in and says to the rest of the group, I've worked with this man yeah. at one of the biggest clubs in Europe. Let me tell you, listen to what he says. You know, Paul Pogba, come here, listen to what he says. Lingard, you listen. Rashford... This, this bloke could make you one of the greatest players that ever played in the Premier League, greatest strikers ever to play in the Premier League, if you listen to him. And, of course, all of a sudden, these players are looking at this player who is an icon, yeah. has won just about everything there is to win in the game, apart from the odd uh, the odd trophy. But 
they're listening to him. So uh, again, clever management from Marina. And Marina can do likewise. He can say, look at look at Ibra. Absolutely. I mean, they will learn more from a training session with Ibrahimovic than than anyone they strike at. Mm. Let's let's end this with with Chelsea and Antonio Conte. Uh, what I found really interesting last week, you went to see Eddie Jones, the England rugby coach, and he was asked, you know, what's the best piece of advice that Eddie gave you? And it was, pick your battles. As a manager or a coach, pick your battles. He picked his with Costa and he won it. Yeah, he did. Eddie Jones has done the rounds with all the managers <laughs> in the Premier League. I don't know yeah. quite when he ever Southgate's been record. down yeah. there. Well, Alistair last year. He was up at Palace for head of the cup final. I didn't do that when he did. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's, look, but Conte, yeah, pick your battles. He's right. Um, and that is sound advice for any Chelsea manager. Uh, ultimately, he, ultimately, at some point in the future... Conte will have a, a political battle to fight at Chelsea. Especially if he wins, wins the league. Hierarchy. <laughs> Especially if he wins the league. Um, and, yeah, he, he will have to work out whether that is a battle that he's going to be able to win. But with Diego Costa, you're absolutely right. Um, that, you can just add that, that to the list of successes that Conte's had at Chelsea to date. Because, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm sick of talking. Every time I talk about him, he's, he, I'm just gushing in praise. Mm. Because the, the blokes, the impact that he's had at Chelsea... Absolutely phenomenal with that group, um, and considering where Chelsea were and, and the mm. finishing tenth, and, and the underachievement and the, the toxic nature of that club for much of last season, for him to have done what he's done is staggering. The flip side, so I was just going to say, the flip side of the Costa winning the Costa battle, picking the Costa battle, was the Mourinho battle. He could have, could you remember when Mourinho was in his ear yeah, yeah. after he'd whipped up the crowd uh, as the fourth goal went in. Yeah clearly wasn't happy with the way Conte was getting everyone going and, and felt that it was disrespectful towards him and his players. Conte could have gone into the press conference afterwards and thought, I'm going to lay down my marker here, I'm going to take on Jose Mourinho. But he didn't. kept his counsel because he knew there were bigger battles to come and, and better battles for him to fight. And, and again, clever management. Mm, I think the, uh, the FA Cup tie against United is going to be a great... It's almost like a pivotal game in the season, isn't it? Yeah, it will be. And don't forget that, I mean, Chelsea have to go to Old Trafford still as well. There are going to be a few clashes between Conte and Mourinho before too long. And it'll be intriguing to see quite how Jose addresses the Conte issue ahead of those those two meetings. Because he won't want um, to endure the humiliation he had at Stamford Bridge earlier this season again. Just a final question to sum this up. Sitting here now, who's your manager of the season? Conte. Yeah, has to be Conte. Well, for me, the heart says Sean Dyche, who's doing amazing things at Burnley. The head, though, says Antonio Conte. But it's a big if, but what if United win three cups? Jose Mourinho, anyone? Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The secret to summer ready skin is here. Osea's number one best selling Andaria algae body oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.